With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Farmers share expertise on planting cover crops in new database. California orchard and vineyard growers have partnered with University of California agricultural researchers to create a searchable database to share information on planting cover crops. The database includes a compilation of experiences of farmers who planted cover crops in hopes of reaping benefits for soil health and water retention. The project is being undertaken by the UC Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program, UC Cooperative Extension, the Napa Resource Conservation District, and the Community Alliance with Family Farmers. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into our show headlines. Duarte on House Ag, Natural Resources fought EPA, and DOJ on WOTUS. A California congressman who was just assigned to the House Ag and Natural Resources Committee had a legal run a few years ago with the EPA and the Department of Justice over alleged Waters of the U.S. violations. Fourth-generation tree, vine, and wheat grower John Duarte sued the EPA after it told him to stop plowing his land in violation of WOTUS and was then sued by the Justice Department for millions in fines. Duarte later settled the case, agreeing to pay $330,000 in civil penalties, $770,000 in mitigation credits, and limit use of 44 acres. Now, Duarte's been named to the House Ag and Natural Resources Committee, giving him a more powerful voice on WOTUS. Tony Francois, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation, represented Duarte and says, quote, The very thing EPA is telling you not to worry about is what they sued Duarte over, just plowing. Regulators have used the expansiveness and the ambiguity and vagueness of the significant nexus test to uh, really push the outer limits of their authority. National Cattlemen's Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart argued in December the final Biden EPA WOTUS rule shows farmers like Duarte may still face fines for normal farming practices. The rule doesn't clearly exempt isolated or ephemeral features from federal jurisdiction. American Farm Bureau's Courtney Briggs claims EPA and the Army Corps jumped the gun on an expected Supreme Court ruling later this year. That was one of the reasons why we asked the agencies to wait until the Supreme Court issued a decision in Sackett, because we're introducing a new and frankly confusing rule to an already very convoluted permitting process. The Pacific Legal Foundation is also challenging the government in Sackett's versus the EPA in a bid to replace a split court ruling in 2006 with a clear majority behind a narrow WOTUS definition. NAFB contributed to that report, and now here's Brian German with more Ag News. Pistachio shipments are on pace once again for another successful crop year. President of American Pistachio Growers Richard Matoyan explained that after having a nearly record year for shipments in the previous year, the new crop year that began on September 1, 2022, is off to a good start with strong shipments both domestically and for export. Combined, we're just behind the pace of shipments last year, which was our second largest shipment year in history. So that's very, very positive news considering all the different situations and conditions that growers and marketers are facing, whether it be the shipping issue or the strong dollar or recession concerns all around the world. So very, very positive news. And a number of countries are showing individual shipment records, which are very, very positive. 
Even with the strong start to the year in terms of water, there could be some hesitation with cotton plantings. President and CEO of the California Cotton Jenners and Growers Association, Roger Isom detailed the outlook for cotton ahead of the planting season. I think for the most part, most people are thinking there's going to be more water and hence they're thinking there's going to be more cotton. I think a couple things have happened since the fall. One is, you know, the Pima price has been very high, but now it's not dropped, but there's not a lot of Pima moving. It's kind of flattened out. Part of that is the strength of the U.S. dollar and just the overall worldwide economy. But we need that to soften for us to get growers, you know, back. Then there are other commodities. While cotton is doing very well, especially on the Pima side, so are tomatoes and garlic, which we compete directly with. And so I think those are going to be more than competitive, and I think we'll temper how much more cotton gets planted. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Neal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, his name is known around California agriculture circles, and now John Duarte is taking on D.C. He was sworn in this month as the elected congressman for California's 13th district after winning over Adam Gray in November. Duarte stepped into the spotlight several years ago when he took on the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers over their Waters of the U.S. rule, under which he was cited and heavily fined after a contractor tilled too closely to a dry area that could potentially hold water. Ultimately, Duarte settled the case in 2017 and paid the fines. I talked last week with Duarte about his new role as congressman and what he hopes to accomplish. You have already been named to the House Agriculture Committee, and this is a heck of a year to be starting out in Congress and getting onto the Ag Committee as we start developing the 2023 Farm Bill. What were your thoughts, and what are you hoping to accomplish this year? Well, I've, I've been named to the Agriculture Committee. I've also been named to the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, and I've also been named to the Natural Resources Committee. So leadership apparently has fairly big plans for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, They're going to keep you busy. Right, committees. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be uh, exciting times. But all, all of these committees come back to things that are very important to my district. And all of these committees give us great opportunities to work with Democrats and Republicans and, you know, improve our food production system, improve abundance and affordability for working families, uh, improve our logistics and transportation and, and everyone's ability to get to work and go home without being stuck in traffic, um, improve our ports so our farmers and um, producers can export some of what they produce and, uh, and balance our global trade. Uh, so it's, they're great committees. Um, on the resources committee, we can talk about drilling American oil and getting water on the farms. And so I'm very excited with my committee assignments. And I'm very excited that we'll be able to come up with with good bipartisan common sense solutions that that improve lives here in the district. 
you've talked a lot about several different things that you're interested in, but do you have uh, a particular project that stands out, something that is you know, really one of your strongest goals? Well, getting, getting water on the farms and making sure farmers can produce abundance. You know, getting, getting our food system um, less regulated, more market-oriented, and producing more affordability for working families. And, and I know that's a, a broad general set of goals, but, you know, I want to promote everything that allows producers to produce um, food and also energy. Um, we, need, we need America to have food and energy security, and on these committees, we can, we can work towards that. Um, and specifically, here in the Central Valley, there's a lot of, a lot of farmers trying to um, get compliant in their areas with a sustainable groundwater management plan. So we need to take a look at the EQIP um, Environmental Quality Incentives Program in the Farm Bill and make sure that farmers can use those resources either on their own farms or in, in regional efforts, local efforts, to get recharge basins, to get um, levee improvements, um, flood control improvements, holding ponds on their farms so that we can uh, we can use the water resources and get the groundwater sustainable where farmers can, can expand their farms instead of considering shrinking them as we are now. We will continue with this interview in tomorrow's program. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, we told you last Friday that USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service is proposing to amend animal disease traceability regulations and require electronic identification for interstate movement of certain cattle and bison. APHIS is also proposing to revise and clarify record requirements. According to USDA, the changes would actually strengthen the nation's ability to quickly respond to significant animal disease outbreaks. Well, after they announced that, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association released a statement. Their president-elect, Todd Wilkinson, said as USDA has worked towards a nationally significant traceability program, NCBA has engaged with industry stakeholders and USDA to ensure that cattle producers are represented and protected. He noted any program must allow maximum flexibility and privacy while minimizing costs for producers and industry disruptions. NCBA also says foot and mouth disease outbreaks around the world continue to result in disruptions to commerce and depopulate livestock, meaning immediate action is needed. Wilkinson said NCBA is committed to working with USDA to ensure workable solutions are identified and implemented. NCBA also notes that cattle producers can be confident that any finished product will protect the nation's livestock herd. NCBA is continuing to review the proposed rule in its entirety. For those interested, a comment period on the proposal through the Federal Register is open through March 22nd. To learn more, just go to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association website, ncba.org. Well, antibiotic use in dairy animals is just to help the animal overcome illness. But Mark Vanderlist, a veterinarian with Bear Ringle Ingelheim, says the challenge is actually helping them overcome the sickness without furthering resistance and allowing antibiotic residue into food products. He says it's important to work with a veterinarian who knows your herd as well as they do. Other tips include following label directions carefully, 
Now, he notes producers need to mark and separate all treated animals. Every employee should easily be able to identify any treated animals, make sure that there are detailed records of all treatments given to each animal in the herd. And it's also important to remove all doubt by making the protocol for treating animals as airtight as possible. Vanderlist says dairy producers take the responsibility for antibiotic stewardship seriously. While many already have strong measures in place, it's always a good idea to fine-tune your existing protocols. And speaking of dairy, don't forget USDA's deadline extension to enroll in the dairy margin coverage and supplemental dairy margin coverage is coming up January 31st. And a reminder, producers who enrolled in the supplemental DMC in 2022, that coverage will automatically be added to their DMC contract this year. If you did not enroll, you can do so now. To learn more, contact your local USDA service center or go to the Farm Service Agency website, fsa.usda.gov. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. New research may help lower winter bee losses. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. Agricultural Research Service scientists and their Chinese colleagues have identified a specific metabolic pathway that controls how honeybees apportion their body's resources, such as energy and immune response, in reaction to stresses like winter's cold temperatures. Entomologist and lead researcher Yang Ping Judy Chen of the ARSB Research Laboratory in Beltsville, Maryland, says this cellular pathway has the strongest connection yet found to the large overwintering colony losses that have been plaguing honeybees and causing so much concern among beekeepers and farmers, especially almond producers, during the last 15 years. The research also found that bees under cold stress were associated with an increased risk of disease infection. Chen says the study suggests that the increased energy overwintering bees use to maintain hive temperature reduces the energy available for immune functions, which would leave overwintering bees more susceptible to disease infections, all leading to higher winter colony losses. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. In 2022, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service continued its regulatory changes to the Endangered Species Act. Those changes mean more regulation of private property through the designation of species and critical habitat. In 2021, the Fish and Wildlife Service was directed to review its regulations under the Endangered Species Act. The agency determined that it would list species as endangered or threatened without any consideration of possible economic impacts. The agency also said it would specify that any species listed as threatened would automatically be granted the same protections as an endangered species. In addition, the agency said it would make it more difficult for an area to be excluded from a critical habitat designation and leave the term habitat undefined. During 2022, the habitat definition was repealed and the critical habitat rule was rescinded. The agency continues to work on other regulations. That includes revising the rule concerning how species are listed under the Endangered Species Act and finalizing the rule that treats threatened species as endangered. 
All of this is bad news for farmers, ranchers, and rural landowners. A significant percentage of listed species have habitat on private property. By expanding the definition of critical habitat, ignoring economic impacts of a listing, and making it easier to list species for protection, ag activities will be impacted to a greater extent. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Back in November of 2021, the U.S. exported $19.3 billion worth of ag products. It was the highest November for exports ever. And we've just gotten the November 2022 export numbers, which are... Second highest. Second highest, $17.5 billion. This from USDA economist Bart Kenner. And so that gives us export numbers for the first 11 months of calendar 2022 as follows. Agricultural exports through November were $179 billion. And compared to the same 11 months one year earlier, that's... Up 12%. Helped by more sales of most bulk farm commodities. Bart Kenner gave us the short list of those. For January through November 2022, exports of wheat were $8 billion, up 19%. Corn exports were $17.3 billion, about even with last year. Soybean exports were $29.4 billion, up 27%. Cotton exports were $8.8 billion, up 63%. And when we do stories on U.S. ag product exports, we do tend to focus more on those so-called bulk product exports. And as you heard, those exports have been running at mostly record high levels during this past year. But there are many other U.S. ag products with big sales increases as well. And looking at the export numbers for the first 11 months of last year... One thing that jumped out to me was dairy products... It jumped up there, 25% up from the same 11 months of 2021. And Bart Kenner says many other U.S. ag products are doing very well in global markets, especially liquid products. First, for general audiences. Fruit juices are up 22%. Mm -hmm. And for adults only. Distilled spirits are up 24% from the previous year. Uh, That's a continuing trend, I think, of, of just increasing demand for those products. And we have non-drinkable alcohol as well. U.S. ethanol exports are up a lot, 47 percent. Add up all of the ag products and total exports again are running 12 percent above year-ago levels. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well, the corporate earnings calendar will be in full swing by the end of this week. Big banks and some major retailers have already reported most major agricultural stocks yet to come. Nordstrom's, Macy's, Kohl's, Dillard's, their stocks all struggling after weaker-than-expected holiday sales season. Agricultural stocks have generally struggled to start the new year as well, but most still are closer to their 52-week highs than their 52-week lows. Artsway Equipment and Kubota for two have had good weeks of trade to start the new year, while ADM, Deere, Elanco, and some others have struggled to get out of the gate, according to Agri-Marketing's Ag Stock Index. The first Crop Nutrition Week is being brought to you by our friends at AgriLiquid. It's a virtual week of learning. And you can register to learn more. In fact, register to get all the 
free information at CropNutritionWeek.com. Again, register at CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. Grain traders are checking South American weather maps here to see if forecasted rain actually fell in dry areas over the weekend. We would still look for a weaker start to the grain trade. But I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day and a profitable week ahead. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with FELS posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Label directions. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. Kurt Blades, AEM Senior Vice President, Industry Sectors and Product Leadership, says the decline largely reflects the robust sales in 2020 and 2021. What has changed with 2022 is softness in that under 40 horsepower tractor market. That's more of an indication of how strong that under 40 horsepower tractor market was during the pandemic. We have seen really strong numbers in the ag specific markets, those 100 plus horsepower tractors and combines and even four wheel drives. So that's an indication that the ag market continues to be strong and the softness is showing up in some of those more consumer style markets. They represent a lot of volume, so that makes the percentages look a little bit lower. Combine sales saw continued growth year over year and even month over month in December. Combines are ending the year at almost 16% above where we were this time last year. That's a very solid indication that farmers feel good about the economy. As you know, combines are a considered purchase. You don't wake up tomorrow and decide that you're going to spend three quarters of a million dollars on a piece of equipment unless you feel pretty good about what the future holds. So that's certainly part of it is the optimism that's out there about current income as well as the prospects for future income. The other piece that's very real is the technology of combines continues to improve. Looking ahead to 2023, supply chain issues remain a concern. However, Blades says the sector and farmers are adapting. We do see some light at the end of the tunnel. Certainly our members are telling us that. That being said, there are some underlying fundamentals that aren't going to be resolved anytime soon. At the heart of the supply chain challenges are labor challenges, a shortage of good, solid workers, a shortage of transportation in the trucking industry. But I think some of the fundamentals of the industry have also changed maybe permanently. I think it's a good thing when farmers are able to plan ahead for what their equipment needs are going to look like next year, two years, five years out. And that sort of mitigates any of those delivery challenges they might have experienced in the last few years. Electrification has been big in the automotive world and even quickly growing in construction equipment. Blades says it will remain a topic of interest in the next few years. It's really difficult to create the sustained level of power that's needed on a farm with an electric engine. That being said, I think we all in the ag industry and certainly in the equipment industry have a desire to reduce our emissions. There's lots of technologies that can lead to that. And we as an industry are giving careful consideration to all of those pieces. There will be 
be places where electrification makes a whole lot of sense, but there are other places where the technology is not quite there yet. It's going to be interesting to continue to watch over the next few years. I continue to be optimistic that the off-road equipment industry, we find ways to innovate that uh, will astound people and will meet all of those ultimate societal goals. He adds that technological innovations will continue and help farmers be more efficient in the future. When you think about a tractor that knows where it is in a field and it begins to drive itself in straight rows, what else can you do there? Whether it's sensors or whether it's additional data that's collected or whether it's being able to spray a specific weed or a specific pest problem, that's exciting technology. So I think in the coming year and the coming years, I think we're just on the cusp of what that's going to mean for individual farmers and their operations, beginning to think about not just fields of crops, but thousands of crops in a field and treating those individual plants with a specific practice. Learn more from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers online at AEM.org. Michael Clements reporting. I'm a big Three Stooges fan, and one of my favorite Stooge comedies is No Census, No Feeling. The movie's premise, simple, as were uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly. We just got a job. We're working for the census. We get four cents a name for taking the census. Where are we going to get the census? Yeah, where are we going to get them? I'll take care of that. That film was made in 1940, a year when the census was being taken, the general census. The government was hiring people to go door to door across the country to interview everybody for the census. The idea, of course, to make sure everybody was counted. Nobody left out for this general census of the country, which was taken every 10 years. But there's another census going on right now, and it's taken every five years by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and obviously is called the Census of... Agriculture. Yes. Uh, One mission of the census is to get comprehensive information from every farmer in the country, ideally with no one left out. Now, to do that, USDA would have to find all those farmers, farmers who may not have connections with the Department of Agriculture or know about the census. That effort to include more farmers has been accelerated for this current census. For example, we're putting uh, some of our census material into foreign languages, trying to see if we can reach, you know, more people. Also, Ag Census Director Barbara Rater says USDA has been working with community groups across the country. We partner with them to do the census because a lot of times a lot of uh, communities are not maybe as, as trusting or as comfortable or understand the census. So we want to try to demystify that a little bit. So what they do is we meet with the leadership of the community-based organizations and then we attend their events, their producer meetings and so forth. And so when they see us there together with their leadership and their leadership is saying, look, you got to complete these census forms because we don't get counted and we're not going to be considered when it's time to develop programs that meet our producers and our constituents. So it's all based on the person-to-person approach and trying to include as many farmers as possible in the census because... The more we reach people where they are, then, you know, the more comfortable perhaps they get with completing the census, then we'll know they're there and then programs can be developed that impact their lives, right? It's not just statistics and government, but how is this going to make me and my family's lives better? USDA is collecting census data from farmers right now, at least until February 6th. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news, 
At a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. All right, so today we are talking with Teresa Keen, who's the president and CEO of AgSafe. Uh, I love to catch up with you folks at AgSafe every year, especially as you gear up for one of your annual events, and that is Activate 23. Uh, And it's coming up, right, Teresa, Uh, in just about a month or so. Yeah, we are about three weeks away from launching Activate 23. It's happening February 7th through the 9th in Monterey, California over at the uh, Monterey Marriott and also at the Monterey Conference Center as well. Got it. So I know that you guys offer a couple different events at AgSafe. So just kind of give me a brief overview about what this particular event is. So Danielle, this is our flagship event, Activate 23. Um, Activate The Activate Conference has actually been going on for uh, 29 years wow. now. And uh, it was an event created by industry for industry, and it focuses in on our industry's most vital resources. It's people. Mm. And uh, we offer more than 50 different sessions in English and Spanish and cover a wide range of critical topics on the fundamentals of health and safety, such Mm. as mental health in the workplace and also compliance planning. Yeah, and that really is what you guys at AgSafe all do. So I feel like this is sort of a great event for the folks in the ag industry. And and like you said, it's it's geared for people within the ag industry, but that industry is so wide and, and we cover a lot. So who particularly is this event geared for? Is it for the farm laborers? Is it for supervisors? Is it production? Um, is it on the manufacturing side? Who is this for? Yeah, you know, it's it's across the spectrum on the agricultural space from production to, um, you know, coolers and warehouses. But and it really focuses in on your supervisors, those folks that are on that front line um, helping your workforce, but also your safety and human resource professionals, your managers and your executives. We've got sessions geared for each of those different categories and uh, really try to talk about kind of what's cutting edge, what's coming, but also giving folks practical solutions to issues that they're dealing with. And the other fantastic thing about the conference is that you're with 400 other folks that are dealing with same same issues and um, challenges and opportunities mm. and having that opportunity to network with one another, to see old friends, you know, gain new friends and, and to talk about, you know, what's happening and how, how we can all support each other. I think that's what makes our industry different than others, mm-hmm. but also AgSafe and Activate what makes it very special. Mm, that's right. Now, I, I know you mentioned that this will all be surrounding workplace safety. Um, 
and that it's a two-day event. So what what's going to be covered? There's going to be lots of training opportunities, a lot of opportunities to network with some of the folks across the industry, like you said. So can you just, Teresa, give me a brief overview of the schedule and what people maybe can expect um, as we inch closer to the conference dates? Absolutely. So um, we launch on February 7th, and the first day of the conference is our supplemental seminars. And so we end up offering our longer courses. And so we've got uh, on that date, we will be offering our farm labor contractor uh, continuing education course, Mm -hmm. uh, both English and Spanish. We also have our pesticide handler train the trainer course in both English and Spanish. And we've launched a new class, which we're really excited about. It's our Train the Trainer workshop. And this class, which is being offered in Spanish, um, will provide you know those supervisors with a Train the Trainer in tractor, forklift, and then also heat illness prevention. And so when they walk away from that class, they'll end up with uh, information and resources, PowerPoints, like some really practical tools that they can go back mm. and provide training to their uh, employees. So that's on Tuesday. So what's going on the next day? The next day, Wednesday, that's when we really kick it off. And um, everybody ends up joining us on Wednesday. And we kick off our conference with our keynote speaker. It's Eric Bailey with Bailey Strategic Innovations Group. And he's going to talk to us about communication. Communication is a huge issue across industries, across across everyone, honestly. And so we're going to talk about like how miscommunications happen and then prevent uh, pre- Provide us with some tools and resources so that way we can go back to our companies, also, honestly, our families, and Mm -hmm. implement some of the things that he shares with us. And then we'll launch into all of our breakout sessions. And we've got some fantastic tracks that we're going to have this year. Um, One of our most popular ones um, is our regulatory track where we bring uh, all of our different agencies, both state and federal, will be um, at the Activate Mm -hmm. Conference. And um, then we're also touching on emerging issues, industry issues, and also our uh, certificate programs will be offered on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4H.org. Hey everyone, we're back talking with Keith Strigler, who's a member of the Unified Wine and Grape Symposium Program Committee. He's a longtime contributor to the grape growing sector and was actually one of the founding committee members of the event. Keith, now that you've given us the details on the importance of the event, I'd like to know a little bit more about the two nonprofits that put it on. Those two nonprofits are the California Association of Wine Grape Growers and the American Society for Enology and Viticulture, which you're actually a part of. So can you tell me a little bit about this collaboration and uh, why it's important? Yeah, I think it's, it's very integral to why this meeting is so important for the industry the California Association of Wine Grape Growers and the American Society for Enology and Viticulture uh, have have come together to put this this meeting on. And one of the critical things about this is this is this is the industry meeting that actually gives back to the industry. 
So both of these organizations do a lot of things for the industry. And just to name a couple of them, you know, scholarships are provided for for students that are then, you know, coming back into the industry. There's educational efforts uh, that come out of both organizations that are very important to the industry. And and then the, the California Association of Wine Grape Growers, of course, does lobbying uh, for the industry as well. So those things are all really important. And they are, you know, many of them are supported by by the Unified Symposium. Ah, yes, it's for the industry, by the industry. Well, Keith, I appreciate you taking the time to explain to me a little bit about this collaboration and provide more information on the Unified Wine and Grape Symposium, which is taking place on January 24th through the 26th. If folks want to gather more information, they can visit www.unifiedsymposium.org. This year's online organic agriculture seminar series is set to begin tomorrow at noon. The workshops will take place every Tuesday and will include a 30-minute presentation followed by questions and general discussion on the topic of the day. The series will begin with information on nitrogen mineralization from organic fertilizers and composts. The January 31st seminar will go over tools and approaches for assessing and improving irrigation efficiency, followed by a discussion on organic management of nematodes on February 7th. Identification and scouting for insect pests will be the topic of discussion on February 14th, and considerations for open-pollinated, hybrid, and land-race seeds will be covered on February 21st. The management of soil-borne plant pathogens with organic amendments will be highlighted during the February 28th seminar. A complete schedule of the webinar series is available at centralcoastfarms.org workshops. I'm Brian German for AgNet West Radio Network. The World Ag Expo Top 10 New Product Winners Results are in for the World Ag Expo 2023 Top 10 New Product Winners. Marketing Manager for the event Jennifer Fox says this year there are some new and returning innovators with a lot of focus around automation. It's a really good international field, even though they all say they're from the U.S. They all have U.S. offices because they know U.S. Ag, we've, we've definitely want those new pieces of technology. But you're going to see some great folks from all over the world right here on the grounds. And yeah, you can go in, they're listed. There's a link on that first page of the show website where all the exhibitors are listed. There's also a page on our uh, website, worldlikeexpo.com with everybody on there. You can click right on their booth space number so you can go see right where they are on the map. Um, but really that technology and autonomy, that's the big thing. We all know labor is tight right now. It's tough. It's a challenge. The winners include Be Home from Be Wise, Blue White Pathfinder from Blue White, Burrow with Bitwise Agronomy, Volcan from FarmWise, Herbicide Gus from Gus Automation, Smart Sprayers from Mantis AgTech, Haytech from Quanturi, S5 Pressure Compensating Heavy Wall Drip Line from Rainbird, Seed Spider Digital Controller Mobile App from Sutton Ag Enterprises, and flying autonomous robots from Tavel. To learn more about the products before you see them, visit worldagexpo.com and use code AGNET to get $3 off your ticket price online. USDA investing funds to reduce wildfire risk. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced his agency is expanding efforts to reduce the risk of wildfires in the western U.S. Funds will be invested to directly protect at-risk communities and critical infrastructure in 11 additional landscapes in Arizona, California, Idaho, Nevada, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. 
Vilsack says, quote, It's not a matter of whether or not a force will burn. It's just a matter of when. Adding, quote, This announcement means over $490 million will be used to restore national forest including the restoration of resilient, old-growth forest conditions. The Forest Service announced its original 10 landscape project areas last year. Combined with the additional announcement last week that represents a total USDA investment of $930 million across 45 million acres. The work spans 134 of the 250 highest-risk fire sheds identified in the Wildfire Crisis Strategy, and will mitigate the wildfire risk for around 200 communities in the western United States. Vilsack goes on to explain how new wildfire landscapes were chosen. When we considered where and when and how to expand on this effort that was started last year, we went out and listened to folks all across the western U.S. More than 12 roundtable meetings, and we received during the course of those roundtable meetings more than 3,000 comments that we took into consideration. Uh, we also factored in to this determination uh, the most current predictive science and research uh, that will allow us to determine uh, where risks are highest. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.